Hi everyone and welcome back to Front Pitch Football World Cup Special Podcast. I'm the host Jeremy Magan and for this uh, one before last podcast, I think there'll be a last one after the final, uh, I got two members of the Front Pitch Football crew, Dylan uh, Bodicevich, who you already know, and Ian Polzinski, who you might know but hasn't been on the podcast yet this uh, this World Cup and who was in Qatar for, for a couple of weeks. So he told us about his experience for a bit and then we went on to talk about the two semifinals, of course, Argentina-Croatia, which was particularly painful for, for Dylan and France-Morocco, where I got, you know, I got maybe a bit um, a bit critical of, of France, but then I got a bit excited when we previewed the final and all three of us see France winning, which is great. We don't see it happening the, the same way. We talked about who we thought was the best player of the tournament, who the best youngster on the tournament, which for both um, questioned three different answers. So stay tuned to, to hear them. And then best goalkeeper. And that was an unanimous decision. And I'm sure a few of you might be able to guess who it was. Anyway, a very firm uh, podcast, like I said, one before last of that uh, World Cup edition. I hope you all enjoyed it. Don't hesitate to uh, comment, subscribe, check out the other podcast of Front Page Football. Excuse me, it was a busy week in Australian football, of course, as you know. Uh, read the article from Anthony pa- Anthony Spagonis and uh, listen to the reaction pod. It was a lot of fun stuff after that terrible decision that happened on Monday in Australian football. Anyway, we're here to talk about the World Football, the World Cup, the semi-final, the win of Argentina and France and a crazy final to come. All of it is dissected by Dylan, Ian and myself after the music. And then there was two. It's it's the end of the World Cup. We are a couple days before the final. Of course, I'm smiling. France has made it. France against Argentina for the final. And I'm having so, some guests from Australia uh, and and you know a bit of Polish. So so then they can say that you know they've only lost against the two teams that are in the World Cup final. I know I'm going to hear it, Dylan Bodicevic, Welcome back. I'm sure a little bit less Thanks, happy than I am. We know the. Uh, the Croatian blood running through your veins. How are you, Dylan? Yeah, not too bad. As you said, look, yeah, it's a bit of a disappointing result considering how well they did over the over how over the whole tournament. So um yeah, it was a bit of a sting to lose three but I guess, you know, to lose against Messi isn't not the worst thing to happen. We'll we'll come back and uh, and talk about that Argentina Croatia game and, and a newcomer on, on this pod, although um the front page football um, listeners and, and readers know all about him. Ian Pulsinski. Ian, how are you, mate? I'm very good, thank you. Really excited to be here, finally. Um, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to talk about World Cup football because I'm really, really passionate about it. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're here. Like, I, I know it was hard for us to catch up because, you know, work and, and all that, but you were in Qatar and, and you've seen your, your fair share of gains. Uh, so, you know, before we jump on to the, the semi-final and, and preview that final coming up, uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, how Qatar was, you know, how long have you been there? How many games did you watch? Uh, and what did you think about the uh, the overall country and, and the World Cup organization? So I went with my dad. Uh, we went for about two weeks. Uh, it was really good. Uh, it was a direct flight to Doha. And from this first second, we fell in love with it. Um, you know, we caught the metro to the airport. Ah, oh, sorry, uh, the metro to our hotel. It was very clean. Everyone was very well-mannered. Um, you know, I work in retail and normally I'm used to rude customers around shopping centers or whatever. But whenever I walk through Qatar, through the stations, to the shopping malls, everyone was really kind. I went to eight games, but I mainly Poland. So I went to Poland's all three games against Mexico, Saudi Arabia, and Argentina. I went to Belgium versus Canada as well, which was great. But my favorite game would have to be Japan 2, Spain 1. That was a really great game. I thought Japan did really well. And I think that there's some statistic going on that it was, I think, 17% possession, that Japan Mm -hmm. had the lowest uh, possession in any World Cup match, and they still managed to win. So that was really interesting as well. And I saw some world-class players. Um, you know, I saw Messi right in front of my eyes taking a corner 
and I did the messy chant, like people going down with their hands, like messy, messy. And I joined in and I'm Polish, but I, I had to appreciate the greatness of Messi. And, you know, I think 10 games in a row, Messi has got an assist or scored, but Poland was the only team that he hasn't scored or assisted in. It was a missed penalty. Oh, Chesney saved the penalty. So I went off when that happened. I literally, like, I was about to take the shirt off, but then we lost 2-0. But overall, I had a great, fantastic time. And looking back onto it, it gets better every time I just, as days go, go on, I just think just how much of a good time I had because it was really incredible. I had a, um, a hotel in uh, close by the centre, I didn't stay in, in the cabins. So I was just with my dad and we, we walked around the city centre. Everything was well organised. The transport was really efficient. The only issue I have, um, which was pretty sad to see, is that Qatar, unfortunately, the country is, uh, is very divided in terms of class. So you have a lot of migrant workers, mainly from Bangladesh, Pakistan and India, who are doing very basic jobs such as toiletry, whereas the Qatari locals or even the foreign workers from Europe, for example, the US, that you can see that there's a class advantage on what they do, uh, which is pretty sad. And then also in Qatar, I think the security was a bit too tight in some circumstances. So there were a lot of barricades. It was very hard to to go around places in a normal direct way. You had to go left, right, left, right to go to one spot, which was really mm-hmm. annoying. Um, and you know the police were really strict on not allowing people to cut corners if that makes sense you couldn't really so if the station sorry if the platform was going straight like literally opposite you they'd say oh go left go up the escalator then go down the escalator and go there but literally it was straight so (laughs) um that was really annoying but overall i really enjoyed my time everything was clean the people were very friendly and one thing i will give a very big praise and i'm writing this for front page football and my opinion piece coming out soon is that the alcohol stadium ban or the alcohol ban in qatar was a very big success it was very good that there was no alcohol related violence um, very refreshing and i think it was a really sad reflection of how western countries or in, in europe or, or america they they need alcohol for to enjoy sport but in Qatar, you just enjoyed the football. You didn't really need that liquor. You didn't need liquor to enjoy World, uh, World Cup atmosphere, World Cup football. So that's one thing that I'll give 110% credit to Qatar is just how you didn't need alcohol to have a good time. It was just enjoy the football. You're cheering with people. There's no violence. No one's drunk. No one's urinating in the park or, in the, or on the street. So, yeah, I overall, fantastic time. And, and I think Qatar really... They still have the issues, Qatar. They still have the issues of the countries, like human rights, for example. But it's not as bad as the media made it out to be. Yeah, I think they they had to like emphasize on the bad things because I reckon they all know how it is over there. Like it's it's a small country, but it's a rich country. So as you said, like the the class division is there, uh, but no one really sees the lower class. Everybody sees just the upper class so in France the the debate went went that way where it was like we know that the media is I don't know if exaggerating is the right word but is emphasizing on the things that are not going well but that's because if you go there it just looks like Disneyland it it never looked like anything is going wrong but then if you go there and you mention how strict the police is if you go there and you're not 100% adhering to their rules you'll know pretty quickly that you're you know either not welcome or, uh, or or that doesn't work for you well i'm glad to hear you you had a good time and i had harry on the previous pod who's uh, who's welsh and who was talking about his pride and, and the emotions of singing the welsh anthem at the world cup how was that for you you know witnessing poland winning a game at the world cup and and just you know seeing the, the country that you're wearing the the jersey of right now um succeeding on the world cup stage so the, the first game was against Mexico and, you know, I was in Russia four years ago as well and I got to sing the Polish anthem. So to do it again at another World Cup, I mean, after, um, you know, singing the anthem, I, I shred up, I teared up a little bit. I was a bit emotional. I really, I because there weren't many Polish people in the stadium, so I just tried to just belt it as loud as I can so maybe the camera, the sorry, the TV could hear me, but you never know. Um, but, yeah, I got really emotional after that Mexico game. Even some old dude was giving me a handshake. He's like, oh, well done, mate. Like, as you know, he, he knows that I'm, it means a lot for me as well. And, you know, Mexicans were really loud as well with their anthem. But 
speaking of the question about football, the first game against Mexico, Lewandowski missed a penalty. And my dad already just, my dad went, uh, you know, swearing in Polish. And he's like, how the, how the fuck did Lewandowski miss a penalty? And I said, it's a Choa, you know, best goalkeeper at the World Cup. And my dad said, no, but Lewandowski's the best striker. <laughs> so, you know, we had that uh, debate. But then against Saudi Arabia, I had a goal. I had a great vision of uh, Chesney's double save. And I went off as well. And the shirt, <laughs> the shirt almost came off. The emotions ran high because I thought Chesney might save it. But then I saw the rebound coming up and I was just like, oh, don't celebrate early. But then the rebound was saved. And as I said earlier, shirt almost came off. Um, and then, you know, I've never seen, I went to the last World Cup and Lewandowski, he never, he didn't score in the last World Cup. And I'm still, I keep telling my dad, dad, we're four games down, almost five. Lewandowski still hasn't got a goal. When are we going to see it? And, you know, we just, it's just patience. I guess with Lewandowski, you just have to wait. He's that type of striker that will pounce on something. So I guess in the Saudi Arabia game, when he tucked that in, I, I got off my uh, seat, jumped up, and I ran down the aisle, down because there were a few Polish fans down the aisle in the corner. And I just ran down the aisle, just grabbed, I don't know who I grabbed, just grabbed his shirt and I just went, yeah, yeah, like, like that. So, um, it meant, it meant a lot for me. There weren't many Polish fans at the, the World Cup. Like, like many nations, they didn't really travel to Qatar. So there weren't many Germans, for example, Swiss, uh, Belgium, for example, as well. So just to, to be there, repping my jersey, singing the anthem, repping the colours, it, it meant a lot for me. It really did. And yes, Poland played the best football, but I'm still happy to be there, make the next stage. And it means a lot um, to, to sing the anthem. Um, and I guess to... to players because you know for a club I always say this to my friends you can change clubs players move out owners or whatever but you can't change a country I guess like for football it will always be there so uh, emotional seeing the anthem at a world cup uh, fans I guess yeah that's awesome and uh not that I want to like burst your bubble or something but how was that flying back to Australia and two hours later you play against France and you're out of the World Cup? Yeah, so uh, I was in the flight. So my flight departed at 10 p.m. in Doha. I departed 10 p.m. in local time. And that was when Argentina played Australia. So we didn't watch that game. And we were disappointed. We were just scrambling around. Can someone just update us the score? Tell us what happened. Uh, so Argentina went up 2-0 at one stage, yes. And... Everyone was like, oh, great. Like, yeah, score update. Then it was, there's a score update, Argentina 2, Australia 1. And there was a massive uh, round of applause. Everyone was like, yeah, get in. And I joined ourselves like, can we actually do it? Is there time left? And they didn't say the full-time score. So we just landed and my dad, <laughs> I'm tired, but my dad's just connected to some Wi-Fi or something. And on, on they just check the score, check the score. And unfortunately we went out and then I was like, okay, at least we've got Poland. Three hours later or a, two, a few hours later watching that game. Which I thought Poland did okay, maybe yeah. first half hour okay, but then later on France just showed how good of a team they are with all due respect. Um, but there's one moment, I think, Jeremy, you remember Poland had a really good chance off the line by Piotr Jelinski had a shot and our coach actually said what was the biggest regret of the World Cup and he said he's sad that Poland didn't get a moment, like that shot didn't go in because can you imagine Poland that diaspora around the world, Polish population, having that moment that they say, yes, we were winning one stage against France. Like people would take screenshots of the score. France, zero, Poland, one. People, that'd be like a screenshot everywhere, like a meme. So that, that was disappointing. Unfortunately, we didn't. Poland never got that moment where you could cheer apart from that Lewandowski, Saudi Arabia win. But look, fair play. We lost to a better team and we lost to... Uh, Cup, possible World Cup champion and I've got no complaints about that whatsoever So we were saying at the beginning of the pot that Poland lost to Argentina and, and France, Australia also lost to Argentina um, and France and, and let's let's get close to those two teams now and let's talk about those two semi-finals Dylan, we're going to, to go back to you of course we said how, how sad you felt that Croatia couldn't do it, um, but Argentina when they play at that level, it's it's almost unplayable. Yeah. I mean, when you have someone called Lionel Messi in the middle of the field, just who does pretty much what he wants, it's, it's and on a day like that, like he played yesterday, it was just unstoppable. Like, yeah, it was, I think, as you said, when you play a team like Argentina, 
with that much quality on a day like that where everything just it just seemed like everything just happened for them from the penalty where you know no one's really appealing for it no one, there was no malicious no malicious to it at all and all of a sudden the rest pointing to the spot and i think everyone was just a bit confused it just and then that took the sting out of the game a little bit where i thought croatia did okay in the first 25 minutes thought they were they weren't in the driver's seat, but they were definitely there or thereabouts, you know, very comfortable and playing their football as they usually do. And then after that call, I think it all just went downhill. And as I said to you, uh, Jeremy, it was kind of reminiscent of the 2018 final at the World Cup in Russia where, you know, France gets a penalty, which might not have been. And then from there, Croatia kind of just, you know, gets into their head a little bit and they play to it and the the game just crumbles for Croatia. And all of a sudden, one becomes two. And, you know, in this World Cup, in, in Qatar, where I think Croatia's been so poor in the final third, to come back from two goals down is, is virtually impossible. Yeah, the first goal is that penalty that, as you mentioned, is, yeah, maybe sometimes doesn't get whistled. And then five minutes later, it's like, five lucky deflections for Julian Alvarez yeah. that, that brings a goal. And then in the second half, that, that 70th minute goal is just magical. What what Messi did to uh, to Guardiola and then fan um, Julian Alvarez. Uh, Ian, I'm sure you've watched the game as well. What did you think? Yeah, so like, as Dylan said, like Croatia, unfortunately, when they went 2-0 down, it looked like it was impossible. But the thing with Croatia is, one thing I do give a lot of respect is that when they go down, they still keep going. I mean, we saw against Japan, Japan scored first. Croatia still came back against Brazil. Brazil scored first in extra time. Neymar with that wonder goal. And Croatia still won on penalties. Unfortunately, I just I just think that Argentina were probably too too strong on, on the day. And they had too much luck as well. As, as I said, I just think that that penalty was still really 50-50. And Alvarez, he's a great player, Alvarez, don't get me wrong, scored against Poland. Um, but that was really lucky, you know, with the beating, those, those type of deflections. But I think... Croatia's luck, unfortunately, did run out, and their their how do I say um, their belief, I guess, just ran out. You know, they they shown as I said earlier against Japan and against Brazil that they can fight, but they were, they came back for one goal. I guess that that makes it easier. But in this case, they were two 0 down at halftime. It looked really impossible. But as I said, I think this this Croatia run is still very unique, considering that they had a lot of problems in the final third. They don't have a Dylan, I don't think they have a number nine. No, anyone no, listed as a number nine? I wouldn't, yeah, no. I wouldn't really say they have an out-and-out out number nine. I think I, no. I agree. To you. And I think another thing I just want to mention is that I heard the commentators actually say during the game that for Croatia, nine out of the 11 that started against Argentina had started in every other game compared to Argentina's four. And those four were Emi Martinez, the goalkeeper, and Messi, who... It's well known that he's walked the most kilometers of his tournament. So going into this game, I think Croatia are always on the back foot a little bit with an older team as well, with less depth. It just after playing two games back to back 120 minutes, it just took a lot out of them. And you could see that. Yeah. I was going to say we 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 sing the praise of Argentina, but I guess yeah, you know whether it was fatigue or lack of belief, but I think I think Croatia was a bit disappointing in how they played. Some player that we expected to be, um, you know, real difference makers, whether it's Pasalic or or Perisic, I think just went went quite there. Like in the first half, two or three times we see those runs uh, from Brozovic who, who are causing real issues to Argentina. And for a second, I thought on one of those runs is going to find the right pass for yeah either either. Pasalic or Perisic uh, or even Kramaric up front, but then it just doesn't, it just never really happened. And it, it's sad because at one point I was thinking, oh, wh- where can the solution come from if whenever they get into the final third, it's just the wrong decision th- that's made. Like we didn't see a lot of Kovacic, we didn't, didn't see a lot of um, Modric, although we saw him, we saw him actually defending more than usual, maybe. Uh, yeah. You know, is, is it, you think the, um, I guess that the end of that generation, although I think like if you, besides Modric and Lovren, most of those players, there's a chance that they're still there, at least at the Euro and maybe even at the next World Cup. Um, is that just the lack of leadership that 
showed on that game because it was such a great World Cup already that that come at the end of their run? Yeah, I think it could definitely be the end of the, you know, as you said, the golden type of generation for Croatian football. Um, I think the players you mentioned, you know, like kind of the spine of the team was where the experience was in, you know, it came when it came down to it. Well, you seen that first goal, actually, Gavardiel, he had such a good tournament, got caught out of position, and that's where, you know, experience comes in. I thought Lovren could have played him offside there, but it was just, you know, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's the moments. And I think, you know, as you said, with the lack of experience, it was tough. But, it, yeah, it's it's definitely going to be tough in the next Euros and World Cup. But in saying that, I think looking at the last World Cup and also the last Euros, I was always worried for Croatia in this World Cup and they have really surprised me. So that's not to say that they won't do that again in the Euros or the World Cup. You got some good youngsters coming in. Lukas Uzic, Josip Sutalo, who haven't seen a minute almost in that World Cup and who are shining yeah. in, in club football. And of course, uh, Livakovic seems like he's the uh, the new darling of Europe after after all those penalties saved uh, this season. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him going to a big club. I'm not even talking about Gvardiol because he's probably going to Real Madrid for like 100 million. Uh, so hopefully the <laughs> The, the generation um, keeps shining and, and we see a bit more of, of Croatia. We repeat it every single time, but such a small country performing so well in, in world football is, uh, is, is simply um, amazing. Let's go to the, uh, to the other semi-final. It's a, re- it's a relief dance more than a, more than a happy dance. France against Morocco, uh, 2-0 this morning here in Australia. We're recording it's, it's Thursday night here. Uh, and well, not not the best game uh, that we've seen France play. To be fair, against England, they weren't much better. Uh, but but the job is done. Um, Morocco, I thought, was impressive. Um, Ian, that that game. What are what were your thoughts? Oh, as you said, I, I guess with Morocco, they were impressive, and they didn't. A lot of teams are scared sometimes to play against opposition like France, but Morocco really weren't scared. They they. And we showed, we've seen that against Spain and Portugal where they've actually tried to play. This isn't a team that parks the bus completely and just... It's not like a Poland, for example, where you just park the bus and rely on one striker to do everything. But Morocco set up really well and they know when to break. I just, I just think that France's experience and professionalism was just too much for Morocco on the day. Um, and I just think that, yeah, as I said earlier, I just think France were... They've got that World Cup experience. They know how to win games. France, even at their worst... They just know when to switch it on and they know how to perform when things get tough. And that's just the beauty of, I guess, the French national team. They, as I said, they just know when to perform. They, they'll let the other team attack, attack, maybe create some chances, but then France just know when to turn it on and they'll, and they'll punish you for it. But congratulations to Morocco. They're the you know, first African team in the semi-final. Samuel Eto'o actually predicted this, so good on him. <laughs> we know that. Um, but... Look, France, as I said, as you said, Jeremy, France didn't play that well. They didn't play that well. They, they played better against England. But, um, yeah, as I said, the professionalism from France just outshone and the experience was a bit too much for Morocco. But, yeah, um, well done to both teams. Well done to Morocco again so far. And congratulations to, to France, who are now in the second consecutive final. Yeah, that's good. I think scoring early for France as well, obviously, on one hand helps, on another hand, um, I think just change the plans for Morocco because what's the point of keeping five defenders when now you're trailing a goal against a French team who just who just couldn't love more to defend and to play counter-attack when you have Dembélé and Mbappé um, <laughs> up front. D- Dylan, what were your thoughts after that game this morning? Yeah, I think <clears throat> one thing that I want to give a lot of credit to Deschamps was actually one of his substitutions to take off Giroud and bring on who did he bring? Was it Muani Chiram. that he brought on? Or was it? Yeah, Chiram who comes in. Chiram, that's it, yeah. Yeah. And I think in that moment where Morocco was so energetic winning the ball back, I remember at one stage they had a five on, had five players pressing on. It wasn't, in, it was in the back third. I can't remember and they won the ball back. And you just saw that they looked up for it. They looked like they were going to score. And they knew that Giroud was up front. 
So counter-attack-wise, they weren't really too worried. But then that change from Deschamps just changed the game, I thought. He brought on Turam and all of a sudden Morocco, they looked like they were going to, they were going to concede in every attack. So I wanted to say, like, you know, big ups to uh, Deschamps. He's, he's really proved himself. I mean, he's already won a World Cup and he's on his way to win another one. But yeah, I was, as a, as um as everyone's spoken about Morocco, that was the second game I've watched of Morocco's. Obviously, the first one being against Croatia, and you just see the passion that they have for each other. Like they didn't look like a national team that had been together for you know a couple of weeks, a month. They looked like a club side that had been together forever, and that really showed a lot throughout the tournament. And then you see it again today against the reigning champions where, you know, on on many instances they had three on ones, you know, defending as a team. As soon as they lost the ball, they would swarm it back. It was it was really good to watch. And, you know, they were unlucky, but I think quality prevailed in the in the game this morning and France showed that. Morocco being back to them, they had players in that squad, uh, Unai and, and Bufal, who play for the 20th team uh, in Ligue 1 right now for Angers, who's who's the worst team in Ligue 1 this season. Uh, and those two players play for Angers. And yeah. obviously, if Angers is there on the table, that means they're not doing great in club level, uh, yet they bring their, their nation to the to the semi-final and nothing to be ashamed of the way the way they were playing. I think I agree with you as far as giving credit to, to Deschamps because I think he knew what to expect against Morocco. He was going to play against a team that was not going to take risks against France. They were going to defend and try and counter-attack. So he did that. He said, you know what, you guys want to do that? You can get the ball and I'm going to defend and counter-attack. Lucky that on the first opportunity, almost they score because then they they pushed Morocco to, to try and come out. But but I yeah, couldn't agree more. I think when Thuram comes in, uh, it's a real change because France was like starting to bend, 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 bend. And it looked like they were about to crack. And then all of a sudden, Thuram comes in and it's first three or four times that he gets the ball, he's able to dribble to three, two, three players. And then of course, then Morocco had to like go back down a little bit, defend a little bit lower, know that they were under pressure. Chiram running open space for Mbappé, who all of a sudden was in the middle of the park. Uh, and I think it, Deschamps to me did like a, a perfect day, even though it's, I, I can't, I can't tell you how much I hate the football that he plays because with the talent that there is in France, not wanting to actually play football, I think is a disgrace. But I mean, at the end of the day, if you, if you win, you know, he played in 98, he won as a player. It, since he took uh, over France in, in 2012 after the uh, after the Euro, he brought them to uh, the, I think it was round of 16 or quarterfinal in 2014. Then the your final in 2016, he wins in 2018. Now he's in final again in 2022. Yeah, I mean, he's incredible. Do you know what can you do? The guy, the guy just wins. He was at Monaco as a coach. He won. He was at Marseille as a coach. He won. Juventus as a coach. He won. The guy just has winning. Like I did a few podcasts really before win, yeah. before the World Cup, where people inviting me to uh, to talk about um, to talk about what France could do into the World Cup. And all I was saying was, as long as we have Deschamps as a coach, we we can win. You can't yeah. discard us because all that guy knows how to do is is winning. And I, you know, I was. I was talking to, to my friends today when I was at work. I'm, I'm born in 85, I'm, I'm 37. And the first 13 years of my life, we didn't have a star on our on our jersey. And then since 1998, that's our fourth World Cup final already. Like this is a golden generation that keeps happening and keeps happening and keeps happening. Um, so it's like, obviously it's it's great to to, to witness that you're, you're kind of wondering where it stopped, but we also know that that, golden long generation is the life of Deschamps. He won the World Cup. He won the, the Champions League with Marseille in 93, the first team that won the, the Champions League for France. And then he won the World Cup five, day, five years later. Uh, and then he was the premise of bringing the team to final in 20, 2006 because he helped them winning the Euro in 2000 and showed the midfielder how to do and now 18 and, and 22. So it's yeah, it's pretty special. Like in in that time, since 1998, the, the best any other nation has done is to get to two World Cup final, and Marseille and France, excuse me, uh, is playing their fourth. So it's a uh, yeah, it's a pretty special uh, special time to uh, to follow <laughs> to follow this team. Um, they are playing against Argentina, though, and let's go a little bit into that 
that final preview. Of course, the story is Mbappe against Messi. Um, you know, that's all everybody wants to look at. Those those guys are teammates uh, in, in Paris, and it's a bit of you know the guy who won all those Ballon d'Ors against the guy who's probably a bat to win um, all, all those Ballon d'Ors. Uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll start with you. Do you think that the game can be just, you know, brought back to just this duel between those two players? Uh, or, or what do you think could be the keys to that final? This is a tough one. <laughs> this is a tough one. Obviously, it's the final. But, you know, I don't think it'll be a battle of just Messi or Mbappe. I, I think that's just more of the commercial perspective. I really think there'll be a lot of tactics in the midfield and defense, for example. One thing that I'll just talk about Argentina quickly. Up until the Croatia game, they weren't that impressive for me, as in they weren't that dominant team that went 30 games undefeated or whatever. I mean, they they lost to Saudi Arabia, you know, the group, they beat Poland, Mexico, fair enough. Oh, sorry. But against Australia, they weren't that convincing. And against Netherlands, they almost lost. They, they almost choked. So from that perspective about Argentina, it's just, it depends what Argentina, which Argentina rocks up. Now we're going to get the Argentina that just struggled against maybe, I don't know, Australia, for example, or are we going to get the one against Croatia? Um, so we'll see what happens there. But I'm just worried about how, because Julian Alvarez is, in, is on fire at the moment, Julian um, Alvarez. I'm not too sure if France's defense has, it's just, I, I'm not too sure how it will span out the game. As you said, France loves the counterattack, but will we see Argentina dominate or will they let France play the ball? That that becomes an issue for me. Will we see Dembélé, <laughs> running down the wing and Mbappe going 99 pace. I don't know if we'll see that. I, I don't think so. I think this game will be won in the midfield. We'll see how the likes of, for example, DePaul will play up against Rabio, for example. So I think that the game will be won not by teams, you know, the counter-attacking style, but just which team has the better legs in the midfield, in my opinion. And it's a real test for, I guess, France's attack because Argentina are pretty... Yes, they have conceded a few goals here and there, but Argentina still have a pretty big defense with Otamendi and Romero. So, and obviously, Debu Martinez in goal. So, we'll see how good the French attack will be against this Argentina defense that they have conceded goals, but they're still very strong. So, um, yeah, I'm very excited for this clash and we'll see how it pans out. Dylan, what do you see? How do you see this game playing out? I think it'll be quite an. An open game to go off, you know, what I've seen from the France and the the previous French and Argentinian games. But then again, it is a it's a final for the World Cup, so I think you know these two teams who have struggled defensively throughout the tournament. As Ian said, Argentina does have a strong defense on paper, but when you look at their previous results, other than you know they have struggled a little bit recently with conceding goals and stuff like that. And so is France. If I'm not wrong, I think this is France's first clean sheet of the tournament. Yeah. So, yeah, and that that says a lot about the defence, which, you know, it could be a worry in the final. It's, it, it either means you have to change up how you've been playing throughout the whole tournament and, you know, risk an error tactically, or it means you have to keep keep playing the way you have been and possibly risk conceding a goal or two and hope that you end up getting a goal or two yourself. So um, I think it'll be a very intriguing game to watch, more tactically than anything, I think. It's it's really going to be one from the coaches. And for me, uh, Lionel Scaloni, the Argentinian coach, what we've seen from him throughout the tournament, his tactical adaptations to pretty much every game has been incredible so far. Obviously, Argentina hasn't played the best football in some games, but what he's been able to do, changing roles, changing where Messi's played and, you know, trying to get the right players around Messi, it's it's really helped Argentina and that, that's what I think will be the most important thing when it comes Monday morning, Sunday night in guitar time. I think we can't underestimate the, the role of Messi in the Argentina squad for, for obvious reasons, but I think one role that we can't, underestimate in Messi's game is his complete lack of interest defensively. And now on Sunday night, Monday morning, he's got Theo Hernandez in front of him, who's the most offensive left back that we've had this World Cup. 
Ian, do you, how does Argentina stop a guy like Theo Hernandez when, when basically the way I see it a little bit is it's going to be when France attack 11th against 10 because Messi just is not interested in, in defending. Do you, do you think they, they have what it takes to stop him? See, I, I do think that France have enough to maybe annoy Messi or to maybe get his weaknesses. The only issue I have is that I'm not too sure if he played against, sorry, Croatia. I don't think he did. But Di Maria, I don't know if he's uh, starting or, or not. That would be massive, in my opinion, if Di Maria starts against France. If, because then, because Di Maria obviously knows how to drop back and maybe he can help or rotate with Messi. Because we, we know Messi is just walking on, in the defense. So that would be very interesting from that point of view in terms of Di Maria starting to help Messi out in order to not recover back. And look, France have just, they're really counter-attacking. So I'm really excited to see how this Argentinian defence, first of all, who will have the most ball. I think that Argentina will have most of the possession, I'd say, that France will allow them to stay back a little, little bit. But then I'm interested to see how Argentina react on the counter because I'm, I'm trying to think of some games that they've uh, been on the counter. I don't think they've, They've been tested from that point of view. Uh, against Saudi Arabia, they lost, but that was due to a uh, Saudi press. But against Poland and against Mexico, they weren't really tested in the counter-attack. So I'm really excited to see how such an exciting team, like Teo Hernandez on the on the left back, Usman Dembele and Bappe. And I'm just want to see, I want to see this transition battle. And we're going to see it hopefully. Like let's see how Messi goes in this role. Maybe, as he said, Scaloni, what a tactical genius he is. Maybe he starts Di Maria to help Messi out. So I'm not too sure. I think that will be the case, actually, thinking about it now, that Scaloni wants someone to do the defensive work because he knows maybe Messi won't give it in that uh, defensive third. So, yeah, very interesting to see how that will uh, set out or plan out. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Di Maria playing on the right because then you can just put Messi just behind Alvarez. I don't think Lautaro Martinez is starting. I think John Alvarez will will keep flying. And then all of a sudden, um, they don't care about the middle anymore because they have all the dogs around to, to run for Messi. So uh, I think it could be one of the keys. Having Di Maria would, would definitely um, be, uh, be be an issue for France. You know, talking about who's going to have the ball, um, I reckon the, the game plan from Deschamps is the first five, ten minutes. France is going to get the ball, is going to try and play position football, is going to try and attack and to really annoy Argentina. And then whether they score or not, they're going to go from high press, high intensity to dropping completely low, aspire Argentina, and then try and find Mbappé and Dembélé in the back because that, that's their game plan forever. And I think they think, friends, that they can stop or at least slow down Messi and, and Alvarez up front. They have that confidence. Um, and then they'll just try and uh, they'll just try and get across. Just before we go on to, uh, I guess, our little final segment of the podcast, where I want to ask you about, you know, the the best player, the best young player, maybe the the best keeper as well. Uh, I'm a little worried about the the third place game, Croatia against Morocco. Dylan, is that is that a game just for fun, or is that a game that you know Croatia want to take because you kind of want to finish third at the World Cup? It's a tough one, isn't it? I think, you know, probably the least valuable game that football has to offer is that third-place game where, really, what do you do? Do you play, you know, as you said, a strong star-studded lineup, or do you just kind of play who hasn't played, really? Because there'll be a lot of players who will come out of this, you know, as you said, like Shutalo, like, you know, Sucic as well. There'll be a lot of players that are maybe in that squad that haven't played in this World Cup and to give them a little bit of an experience in a game like this where, you know, there is still a little bit on the line, but at the end of the day, when we look at next year, who's going to remember who came third, who won this third-place game? Like, if I'm being honest, I can't, I, I can't tell you if England beat Belgium all those years ago. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think for me, I think Croatia will go out to try and win this game. And I think Morocco will do the same. And that just comes down to how both teams play. And they play with a lot of passion. They play they play for the badge quite literally. And I just don't see them taking a back foot and saying, look, we're going to play this player and that player. Just to give them an experience, I think they'll both go out to win this game. 
Yeah, I think Morocco will do what it takes to try and be the the first African team to to finish third. What do you think, Ian? Oh, I I just personally think it, it won't be a repeat of the group stage game that we saw the nil all draw, which I was there at the Albert Stadium. I was there for the nil all draw, so I I can guarantee that it won't be it won't be a scoreless. Well, hopefully it won't be scoreless. I do think, as you guys have touched, Jeremy and, and Dylan, that it won't be a team that, you know, to experiment. I, 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 don't, I don't see that happening where, oh, this guy hasn't played, let's just chuck him in. I think both teams want to get that third spot. I guess it's good for the history books. Again, it's not really much. I think I see Croatia. Oh, that's a tough one. Maybe as Jeremy leads on to, I think Morocco win just because maybe Croatia have that fatigue and that sort of that atmosphere has just gone down, whereas I still believe Morocco have got that party festival. Even though they lost, they, they're still buzzing that they made it this far, I guess. So uh, I think that Morocco should win this one. But, yeah, as I said, maybe Croatia will win it. I, I'm not really too invested in this one, sorry, but I think Morocco will win. It's it's interesting that you remind that those two teams were in Group F with, uh, with Canada and, and Belgium. And I think at the beginning of the World Cup, anybody looking at the Group F, I'm not sure Morocco first and Croatia second uh, was on a lot of people's uh, bingo card when they look at what that group F looked like with uh, with obviously Belgium and the the end of their golden generation and Canada who's hosting the World Cup in four years and who is uh, is, is said to be one of the future um, like great generation of uh, of this world. All right, let's go on to our little uh, our little pick the name pick pick the player who's who's uh, really impressed us on the World Cup. It's time to turn on that TikTok camera if anybody had one. Um, let, let's uh, let's go for player of the tournament. We, we start simple. We start wide. I mean, I'm sure you guys know which one's mine. Dylan, um, who do you think is the, the player of the tournament in Qatar so far, almost regardless uh, of the final? Uh, I'm going to be boring and I'm going to have to say Lionel Messi. Uh, I just think what he's done to get his team. I think... And I know you, I know already who you'll say, and my argument is that I think if you were to take both players out of their teams, we would see France go probably a similar route to what they have done already. Whereas if we were to take Messi out of Argentina, I'd honestly I don't think they would have gotten past Australia if that was the case. And so that's honestly you, you could go with either, but that's my reasoning for going with Messi over. Who I think you'll go with. That's that's a that's a fair call, Dylan. He and your uh I guess on Dylan's definition, it's the MVP of the tournament. Ian, do you have a, a best player or an MVP? Uh I've got uh yeah, best player MVP. Uh I think I'm gonna go with your option, Jeremy. I think his first name starts with K. Oh no, I'm not going there. No, no, I think mm-hmm. the best player so far, he's given me the best impressions, is Kylian Mbappe for me. I really do. I, I say that. I really do. I think Kylian Mbappe and, you know, maybe against the England game didn't too well, but I do think that he will he will do, he'll have a good final and I think that he'll be the best player. And we saw that against Australia. I saw that against Denmark, uh, against Poland. He crushed Poland. And, you know, I, I as good as Messi has been, in my opinion, Mbappe electric in, in just the sense that he's, his finishing has been insane. His speed, uh, for me, he's been the player of the tournament, in my opinion. Kilian, yeah. His run this morning when he get tackled at the last second by Morocco, but when he runs on the left, reminded me of uh, of that famous Gareth Bale um, run. <laughs> I think it was uh, against Barcelona <laughs> or something like that, where he was uh, where he was unstoppable, and when he had to like go all the way around. Uh, yeah, fair, fair call to the two of you. I think I agree with Jidan as far as Messi. Uh, being yeah, like the so-called MVP, like if he's not in the team, the team's nothing. Uh, and Mbappe maybe is a bit of that. I think if Mbappe is not in the French squad, they have much more issues than the one who I think is the player of the tournament. Uh, in, in my opinion, it's Antoine Griezmann, um, the player of the tournament. He's, he's reinvented himself uh, uh, in, as a French player. Like he used to be a right winger, then he was a number 10, then he was scoring the goals. And now this morning, even Paul Pogba, put that on his Instagram where he wrote Griezmann Kante. Uh, now Antoine Griezmann is a number six, a number eight. Uh, he's heading the ball in his own box. He's doing a tackle as the last defender. And then he brings the ball back up and then he finds the right pass. 
he's the number 10 because all the ball goes to him and he's the the maître of the ceremony, the MC in the middle and, and making sure that he's the one passing the ball. Uh, and I think that if you remove that one player, Griezmann, from the team, that is already depleted of Kante and Pogba, then there will be real issues trying to find the, the player up front. And, and he's played, I don't even... I don't even think that he got out of any game. I mean, of course, against Tunisia, he walk, he walks in on the second half, but otherwise he's played every single minute uh, and he's, he's unstoppable. He, he he always says it. He loves playing a game where it's 0-0 and you score one goal and you win just 1-0 by defending the way Diego Simeone uh, taught him at Atletico. <laughs> um, but, but I think with France, he just, um, you know, he, his rebirth started slowly this season after Barcelona really crushed him. Uh, and we can see at the World Cup that yeah he's he's just everywhere and he's really working for the team rather than for himself uh, versus you know maybe what Mbappe and Messi are doing. Um, so yeah, to, to to me that's that's the player of the tournament. And I think at the end, whoever wins the World Cup, unless Messi scores three goals in the final, it's either Griezmann or or, or Messi. I reckon. What, what, what is it, Ian? I just got a question, Jeremy. Like before the World Cup. Did you think that Griezmann was going to be playing this role that he's been playing in the national team? Like, was there? Did you know that he was going to be playing this number six or this, you know, doing all this dirty work? Did you know this beforehand? I didn't think he was going to play that low. I, I, I was like, I, I don't. I've, I probably said that ten times in ten different like radio shows or, or, or podcast. I knew he was going to be his World Cup because he's been so frustrating with himself for the past couple of years, like this season back to Atletico Madrid, playing at the, the first the first 10 games or something, he had a close, so he couldn't play more than 30 minutes. So he was only coming in after the 60th minute. And then he finally signed definitively for Atletico and then he played more games. I knew he was going to have the rage of, of having result and he was going to carry France. I thought, you know, until, until three weeks before the World Cup, we don't know what the midfield is going to be. Um, so I thought he was going to have enough talent behind him to not have to come all the way down, but he was going to still do the dirty work just a little bit higher, actually as a number 10, and to just be pressing, 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 and that the friend's game was going to be to play higher because I thought, you know, he's playing with Karim Benzema and Mbappe, and all of a sudden it's a different friend. It's a friend that wants to play football, not that wants to defend. I think the only reason why he dropped down to number six, number eight, is because... Chouameni, despite what I said in the article on, on Front Page Football, uh, just hasn't performed at the level that you expect from somebody who plays in his position. Rabiot has been really good uh, with, with, his, um, with his own little weaknesses, but Chouameni needed somebody who's a bit more of a dog, the way Kante can be and the way Griezmann has been in this World Cup, to try and like go into the legs and grab the ball. I mean, poor Jude Bellingham, he thought... He was going to be the revelation of the World Cup. And then Griezmann, in the first half an hour, I think committed six fouls on him. Just every time <laughs> he was trying to walk in front of him, he was just kicking him. So, you know, it's it's sports, it's gamesmanship that no one else has in that team uh, that he really, he really brings. Yeah, I really think that with or without Griezmann, you have a, a totally different um, French national team. Let, let's go to the, let's go to our youngsters, uh, Dylan. Who do you think was the, the best young player of this tournament? Oh, I think this is an easy choice for me. I think Cavardi the centre-back from Croatia. I think just every game that he played this tournament, just he surprised me more and more. He really carried this and helped this Croatian team. And it might have been that experience from Lovren next to him, but I just think that from both sides of the game where you look at with the ball and without, it was just exceptional, like, bringing the ball forward, and then just his defensive displays were second to none. I think, yeah, other than that Argentina game and that, that one moment where they broke through and he was kind of caught in no man's land, I think the rest of his, his tournament was just flawless. And I think there's a big move, as you said, coming for him. <laughs> for sure. Very a big bit, of, bit more money going to Leipzig. Yeah. Uh, Ian, young player of the tournament for you? <laughs> Uh, my one part of me comes from the Netherlands, Cody Gakpo. Mm -hmm. I think that he's been very good, Cody Gakpo. Yeah, very surprising. I, I don't think many people saw 
you know, you've got Memphis Depay, obviously, and he normally scores the goals for Netherlands. He's their attacking presence. And no one really knew Cody Gakpo that much, I, I'd say, um, when you think of Netherlands. But he just shone out of nowhere, especially from the first game. Scored that rocket, I think, against, uh, I think it was Ecuador in that, in the yeah, um, scored that rocket. For me, Cody Gakpo has just been really enjoyable to watch. And he's been that bit of creativity for the Netherlands. Because, in my opinion, Netherlands haven't been that flashy. That they haven't been that really attract. They haven't playing attractive football for the Netherlands, and I think Cody Gakpo really brought that energy uh, to the Netherlands. Um, and they really, you know, De Jong hasn't had a great tournament. Uh, they're still relying on David Klaassen, and Klaassen is just old, and he's not that great. And Gakpo, for me, just brought a lot of energy, enthusiasm into the game of the Netherlands, and he really shone out for me. And he, I just love watching him play. So for me, young player of the tournament, Cody Gakpo from the Netherlands. I like I like those shots. I think there was a lot of young talent in that World Cup. I was I was almost like surprised by it because I think some nations you mentioned the Netherlands and, and Gakpo, um, some nations really decided to trust young players where they already had supposedly established players to be able to put on with enough experience and they and they moved them out. Like I, look at Argentina instead of having Lauto, Lautaro Martinez playing up front or even calling a Paulo Dybala. You have Julian Alvarez, who's just been sent to see. I mean, look at the midfield, Enzo Fernandez, who nobody knew a year ago and then signed for Benfica and has a great time, now starts for, for Argentina. Um, I, I think there was a, a lot of example. I mean, Spain, we expected them to start. Uh, but, but Gavi um, and, and Pedri, they're all like they're kids, they're teenagers, uh, and they start in some of the, of the biggest nations. To me, the, the best young uh, player of the tournament... Um, was Jude Bellingham just because just because of how comfortable he looks like the kid is not even 20 years old yet uh, and he walked into that squad and despite having the the Calvin Phillips or the Declan Rice or the Jordan Anderson uh, he was the one running the show he was the the you know deep lying playmaker uh, and when he had to go up front uh, no pressure I mean kudos to Gareth Southgate trusting a player of that age and of that inexperience to to make it happen for England and it's going to be great experience for him to to build but I thought there was yeah I thought there was a, a mountain of of great young talent you mentioned Gvardiol uh, Morocco at Unahi who's only 22 Germany of course at uh, Musiala uh, in France there's a few that are not too old and it's good to see like uh, the Konates and the Upamecanos actually doing okay Kunde as well because they need to renew that that defense uh, France and they need to do something about it um, but yeah, I thought I thought for for the the under twenty three point of view, uh, I think it was a really really positive World Cup, and we've seen a, a lot of talent for the uh, for the years to come. We spoke about the best player. We spoke about the the best young player. Um, I, I want to talk about the goalkeeper. I can't even remember if I if I ask you guys to tell me uh, who do you thought was the was the best goalkeeper. I, I kind of know almost who both of you are going to, to pick because you're going to stay in your country. Uh, but, uh, but who do you guys think the, the best goalkeeper in that World Cup has been so far? We'll start with the end this time. Oh, man. If only the group stage counted, I'd pick Chesney. Because <laughs> I think Chesney, honestly, for me, was the best goalkeeper in the group stage, at least. Chesney. He, he, was, he kept Poland. If, if we're going to look back at the history books talking about Poland's World Cup 2020, we're talking about Lundell, we're talking about Chesney and his brave performances uh, for Poland. Uh, for me, it's going to be Croatia's goalkeeper, Livakovic. Livakovic? Yeah, I really do think that Livakovic has been the goalkeeper of the tournament. Um, but, you know, that's a shame because Poland could just get through against France and maybe Chesney could have got that uh, Golden Glove Award of best goalkeeper. But for me, group stage Chesney, uh, overall Livakovic from Croatia. Yeah, Gilan I mean, will yeah. not disapprove of that call. Yeah, I just think you already knew my answer before you even asked the question. But um, yeah, I was just looking at, I was just having a look at some stats now about Livakovic's performances at the World Cup, and I just saw that take away the penalties that he's faced, and this doesn't include the Argentina game, but from the first five games he played, out of twenty-two shots, say. Uh, he faced, he saved 19 Damn. in five games. That's that's roughly four shots a game that he's saving. And 
some of those games were really important. I think that Brazil game, he made about six or seven saves alone. That really helped Croatia. And I think when you look at players who who help their country go forward more in the tournament and you look at Croatia, he was one of them. Yeah, I, I, I wish I could say 100%. that. 100%. Lloris was the goalkeeper of the competition, but I think it has to go to uh, to Livakovic. Like, if anything, yeah. maybe you, you could have said Bunu for Morocco because he did well, but one of those games, he wasn't the one playing and it looks like it didn't matter who was the goalkeeper because that defense was just made of steel <clears> and, <throat> and, and nobody could go through. Uh, but yeah, I think Livakovic really, really exploded. I, I don't mind no perth for Netherlands, who, uh, I, like, before the tournament, we didn't know who was going to be the keeper for the Netherlands. Uh, and then Nopert, I thought, did a, did a good job, but he was in a so-called easy group, so it's harder to, uh, yeah, it's harder to, to to put him in. I think Livakovic was just was just the guy, and I think they're going to talk about him. I don't like him, Emiliano Martinez, so I don't even want to mention him. Uh, <laughs> but it's just a personal feeling, and to not to not um, jinx it before the before the final. Uh, boys, just just the last one, and and then I think we'll uh, we'll wrap this up. Um, a moment in that World Cup, a team, something that you know you remember when you think back at um, Qatar 2022. Ian, you go first. Oh, for me, being there, it was probably just Lewandowski scoring that goal against Saudi Arabia um, because that was that was five or four and a half games that I've seen Lewandowski at a World Cup and I was just drenching. I was just waiting for that moment. just wanted to happen and even though it was a tapping, I'll never forget the celebrations where I just ran down the aisle of the of the uh, row, just grabbed someone from Poland, just up and down, like yeah, yeah, we did it. And I'll never forget as well, Chesney, just the brave performances. So that will stick to my mind. Um, but if there's another, like as a, from a neutral perspective, I'd say just uh, probably like this Morocco run. This I, I've, I love how Asia football is, you know, we've got three teams coming out as well from their groups respectively. And, you know, Saudi Arabia beat Argentina. We've got uh, Morocco coming out of the group. So it was just fantastic to see this. It was good to see, for me, at least South America fall a little bit and just rise to the other nations like around. So I'll take that into consideration that looking back, there were so many upsets, fantastic football. And for me personally, as I said, like Lewandowski, Poland, with their performances. So, yeah, that, that was what I'll remember from this World Cup. Dylan, a, a moment, a team? No, oh, I think, obviously, everyone's going to say Morocco, and I agree with Ian that I think it's hard to look past them. But for me personally, I think really tough to choose between that Tunisia game and that, and that Denmark game for Australia. I think, for me, that's in my memory the first games that I can remember Australia winning at a World Cup and obviously in 2010 against Serbia, I wasn't really old enough for that to be stuck in my memory. So those games, I just, I couldn't believe it when we won and to get out of the, the group that we were in will stick with me for probably the rest of my lifetime. So I think just those moments there for Australia really will live with me when I remember the 2022 World Cup. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I hope I hope my best memory hasn't happened yet for for that World Cup, <laughs> and I hope it's on uh, it's it's on Monday morning. I think if I think of 2022, though, uh, I don't think I'll I'll forget the uh, the upsets and and one team that I thought was going to keep doing it was Japan. Um, I mean, that I, I don't know why I ended up watching most of their games. Uh, but that that win against Spain coming from behind, uh, that win against Germany going from behind, uh, causing issues to Croatia in the in the round of 16, and and you know if he wasn't for Livakovic, uh, probably almost almost going through um, was was a very pleasant surprise. Then of course, yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully the best memory, like I said, comes on uh, comes on Monday morning when uh, when friends get a, a third star. Yeah, hey, Ian. Hey, hey Jeremy, just the last one, one final. Question. I mean, I know we're gonna wrap up, but who was the biggest disappointment for you? I'm gonna throw it out to you. Who was the what what team or which country disappointed you the most? Oh, uh, I, I think I mean I think Germany. Like I thought Germany was going to go to the end. Like I had so much faith in 
um, uh, in Hans Flick because I think he's a great coach and I think he knows what he's doing. Um, seeing them not being able to to dominate with the amount of talent there is in that team with a core that plays in the same club, um, not seeing them going through uh, to me was was shocking. You know, shock more than more than Brazil losing, more than uh, you know Spain not being able to to make it either. Um, Germany getting out so early with the not that they had an easy group, but they had you know Japan, Costa Rica, and Spain. So you thought they were going to go through um, them. Them not coming out, I thought was uh, yeah was was like a professional foul, if anything. Like you know you would, they're keeping Hansi Flick because they trust him, uh, but on but on three results like this, you know not being inside the um, their locker room, I just like I just fire everybody. Like they they are supposed to get there. <laughs> Uh, it's a, it's a real to me it's a real mistake. Uh, that's that's a good one though. Ian, what about the two of you? What do you think? I'll I'll go with my one for me, and I had them going first in their group. Uh, Uruguay, I thought they were really disappointing. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I had them going first from Group H because just they have a really exciting team. Suarez, you know, his last World Cup. Nunes, uh, De Arasqueta. Uh, who else? There, sorry, uh, as I said, uh, Nunes. Just quickly that. Oh, um, what is his name? Bentancourt as well. Yeah. So Uruguay really have a, a solid team, Godin. So I thought they were going first out of the group and going for a deep run. And then I was just very disappointed. I was at the game, Uruguay versus Korea. And Korea really should have won that game, in my opinion. Uruguay were poor. Oh, the, and Uruguay also have the guy from Real Madrid, sorry. What's his name? Uh, uh, Valverde. Yes, yeah, Valverde. Yeah. And and for me, Uruguay were just really poor. They just they couldn't attack. And it was just, it was really boring. I thought Poland were poor, but Uruguay just looked really bad. <laughs> like, um, and for me, Uruguay were definitely the biggest disappointment considering how good of a squad they have and where those those players play in, in these very competitive leagues. You can say that Qatar was disappointing, obviously, because of the host. No one really expected them. No one really knows a lot of their players. So for me, Uruguay was the biggest disappointment of the 2022 World Cup. Dylan. Jeremy, I think I said to you on the previous pod we did that for me it had to be Serbia. I think (laughs) just the dark horses of the tournament and they get in there and they're just so much. They were the total opposite of Croatia, if I I have to say so myself. They just had all the final third there was, but no back. Defensively, they were so poor. And I just think they lacked experience defensively and it really let them down. So I think Serbia and Germany, if I had to name two just quickly off the top of my head, would be them two. Just, you know, I think they definitely both could have gone a lot further than what they did. I agree. I knew that you were going to talk about Serbia. I knew it was going to, uh, <laughs> to, to hurt a bit more. The last question of the pod, Dylan. What's the score Monday, 2 a.m., Argentina, France? What's the final score? I'm going to say 2 all in normal time. And then I think France will get, I think it'll end 4-2 after extra time to France. Like Being quite call. a high-scoring one. I like that call. Ian? Uh, as Dylan said, I think that this will be a high-scoring one. It's got all the ingredients for a high-scoring game. It really does. So I'm thinking it will be uh, 2-2 after extra time, and I think France will win uh, on penalties. I, like, I, think I, like now, I think now that... What about yourself, Jeremy? I think it's... I don't, I don't like to predict when it's my team playing, especially on a game <laughs> like this. Um, I, are yeah, you confident I go... at least? Like, do, do, are you... Do you think, uh, do you think you're confident? Like, do you do you really give yourself a chance, a, a, a proper chance against Argentina? Or are you a little bit scared? I, I back this team, hundred percent. Like, they, if if they don't win, it's going to be a big disappointment because I think they can beat anybody. Um, and I think Argentina is like cut out for France, but like I'm scared saying that because I know that it's just a football game and anything can happen. Right, one player gets injured, and then what do you do? Um, so, so yeah, like I, I think I agree with the two of you as far as the number of goals being scored. Uh, I see the same sort of final as 2018, um, or when Argentina and France met in 2018 as well in the, in one of 16, like a 4-3 or a 3-2 or 
or something like that. There's going to be goals are plenty, and um, I, I'm. It hurts to say that, but I think either of the team takes a red card. I don't think it's 22 players at the end of the game because <laughs> they are teams that know each other too much and they they like to play a bit too hard. And yes. the referees have been unfortunately the stars of the show in Qatar, but no red card has been given. And not and not a lot, I should say, of red card have been given. I think in the final we're going to have something not pretty somewhere. But yeah, hopefully it's France three, Argentina two, and and Paredes gets a red card for Argentina, which helped France <laughs> making it to the end just because he he was he was wearing the PSG shirt, so he doesn't deserve anything else. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, we'll see we'll see how that and uh, and but uh, as long as France win, I don't care about the result. If France doesn't win, it's alright. I'll just take a. I just take a year off any podcasting and uh, <laughs> and any social media, so nobody can uh, nobody can find me again after my predictions. Boys, thank you, thanks a lot for giving me a bit of your time. It's uh it's the one before last uh, World Cup podcast, and and we'll do another one, of course, after the game. We'll see if I do it in tears uh, or, or drunk in joy. Uh, but uh, but it was it was good to have the two of you to recap those semifinals to talk about what we thought the best players of the tournament was and. Uh, and to preview this final, Argentina against France, second final in a row for France. The last time a European team had two World Cup finals in a row, it was Germany in 86 and 90. The last time any team had two finals in a row, it was Brazil, 98 and, and 2002. And in uh, in both situations, it was one win, one loss. So hopefully France uh, beat that, now they beat the curse, and gets a, uh, a third star, and it doesn't go to, uh, to Argentina. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Dylan. Thanks for your time, boys. And, uh, and, you know, I know that I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, boys. No worries. Thank you. Okay.